at Oak Park. Uh, if you're just a guest visiting with us today, I'll uh, have you know that I'm not the normal preacher here on Sundays, and uh, this is also not the normal type of teaching that we do here at Oak Park, um, but um, the Pastor Chase and the other elders gave me the opportunity to come before you today and give you an update on uh, my life and uh, the direction of uh, Angela and I's future. Um, about this time last year, I began to feel an inward call towards uh, starting some new Christian work uh, to go out from Oak Park and to start a church. Uh, Oak Park desires to do something here locally in the area. Uh, this is an area that I love. I've lived here my whole life, and uh, I love the community. Uh, I know that uh, starting something here locally is something that I could get a lot of support for, and so we began to think through that. And uh, this time, in January last year, I enrolled in seminary to study church planting specifically, and also used uh, every opportunity that I got to talk to different pastors who have started churches. I talk to a lot here locally. Uh, Brad Walker has been a great resource for me uh, down at um, Redeemer Church. Um, but also, as I started to go to different conferences, I tried to connect with different pastors who uh, were at the conference that I was, and I spoke to a pastor from uh, Wisconsin, talked to a pastor in Chicago, talked to uh, another pastor in Brooklyn. And the more I talked to these different pastors that were outside of our context, the more that I saw a great need in the northeast part of the U.S., far greater need than here locally in southern Indiana. At the same time, I began to study uh, the North American Mission Board's target cities. Uh, there's 32 different cities that uh, they're working to plant churches in, and uh, as I looked at those, I was particularly focused on churches in the Northeast. And as Angela and I explored these many different cities, we began to feel an attraction towards Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. We'd never been there before. Um, my wife's from the West Coast, and I'd never been to the Northeast. So we took a family trip there in August. And uh, when we were there on that trip, uh, we came away and we both felt the strong urge that, hey, this is a place that we could live and raise our family, a place that we could start a new church. And since that point in time, many doors have opened for us. We went back there again in uh, November and spent a lot of time with a guy named Ken. He's the leader of the North American Mission Board in Pittsburgh. Uh, very positive time, and I've worked very hard to prepare myself for this sort of work. And uh, with God's blessing on our life. We hope to go out of Oak Park next fall and begin this work. And so today I, I want to use this opportunity to share about this mission project. As I talk about this, I also want to share another story of a man who went out as a missionary. I'll be taking a, a class in seminary here in two weeks. And in God's providence, I was assigned uh, this very healthy biography uh, called To the Golden Shore. Uh, it's the story of uh, Adoniram Judson. When I first opened up the biography from Amazon, I was quite overwhelmed by the size. But as I began to get into this book, uh, my heart's been stirred so much. Uh, it's a very easy story to read and uh, just full of great things. Uh, Adoniram Judson, he was a missionary who went out from New England in 1812. And he was the first missionary from the United States. He went out with a team of seven others. 
They sailed from New England uh, on to India, and then he and several others went on to Burma from there. On that journey, he uh, was opening up his Greek Bible and began to study about baptism. And uh, on that long six-month journey, he became a Baptist. And so he also became the first Baptist missionary from the United States. As I read this biography, my, my soul was encouraged hearing about his mission work, hearing about how God used him and his wife and many others. But I also got a taste of some of the challenges that he faced, some of the physical difficulties, the persecutions. Reading this book came at just the right time for me, particularly connected with me as I, I read about his preparation process for the mission. As Adoniram Judson was studying to be a pastor in seminary, he read a book uh, from a guy who was an English ambassador to Burma. As he read this book and heard about Burma, his heart was stirred. In excitement, he began to tell a lot of his classmates about uh, this draw towards Burma that he felt. Many of them laughed at him. They dismissed him as a dreamer. People didn't get it. International missions was not something that people did. There had been missionaries that had gone out from Europe, but never from America. But Adoniram Judson was a very determined man. His passion only grew within him. Over Christmas break, he went back home to stay with his family for a period of time, and he told his parents that he would be leaving the U.S. He thought that they would be excited for them. They, they had always wanted him to, to do great things for the kingdom of heaven. His dad was a pastor, and he wanted him to follow in his footsteps. But that's not exactly the response that he got from his parents. They told him, hey, aren't there people locally who need to know Christ too? His father thought that he was throwing his whole future away. His father had made preparations for him to go and to be an apprentice at a, another church there in New England. His mother and sister had a very different response. They began to weep uncontrollably. They prayed for God to change his heart. The whole time he was there on winter break, they held this bitterness towards him. Adoniram Judson wasn't alone in his passions for missions. He met a young girl. Her name was Anne, or as he called her, Nancy. She had a love for Adoniram Judson, but she also had a love for missions. She also told her family her father was a deacon, and he encouraged her. There's many in the community that didn't get it. There's a quote that I read from the book. She was the talk of the town. Someone said, I hear Miss Hazelton is going to India. Why does she go? Someone would respond, why she thinks it is her duty. Would you not go if you thought it was your duty? To which someone would reply, but I would not think it was my duty. And everyone thought that these young missionaries were just too young. They weren't ready for such a task. As I read these different accounts, these things connected with me. As we have begun our preparation process, we've gotten a, a various similar responses. Many people have been encouraging to us. Say, hey, we'll miss you guys. We love you, but we're supportive of you in this work. This has not been everyone. As some have told us, the very first response is, oh, well, we'll be praying that God changes your heart, that God calls you to stay here. Others who have considered the idea of going with us, they've 
started to ask others in their life for their opinion, and some of their family and some of their friends have been very discouraging to them about the idea of going out. Some of the responses I've got is to say, hey, aren't there people here in southern Indiana who need to know about Christ too? Some of the hesitation I get, just like with Adoniram Judson, many people have very little exposure to missions. They've never had loved ones that they deeply care about go out as missionaries. And so today, I want to use the time that I have to answer the question, why would you plant a church in Pittsburgh? And as I answer this question today, I will show you some things from the scriptures using the accounts of the life of Adoniram Judson, and I will show you some very practical ways that you can get involved in our mission in Pittsburgh. The first reason why we are planting a church in Pittsburgh is because God desires to save. God desires to save. From the very beginning, mankind has rebelled against God, their creator. The Bible uses this phrase over and over that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That began with Adam and Eve in the garden when they went and grabbed the fruit and ate of it. And this rebellion brings the anger and punishment of God. But God did not leave us in that state. God has always stepped in to save mankind. A very beautiful picture of this is in Genesis chapter 6, the account of Noah. It says that the, the people were living in total wickedness, that God was going to bring judgment on the earth through the flood. It also tells us how God stepped in to save. When God placed Noah and his family on this giant boat, and then after the flood, the, the boat landed on dry land, and God gave Noah this command. He told Adam and Eve in the garden, the earth. This is the same command that God had given Adam and Eve in the garden. He told them to fill the earth. And not just fill the earth with a whole bunch of people, but to fill the earth with image bearers of God. More people that will bring glory to God, their creator. Unfortunately, generation after generation, mankind turned from God. But God's purpose did not change. In the midst of their rebellion, God sent the prophets in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, the prophet said this, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the waters cover the sea. The people did not listen to the prophets. And finally, God stepped in to save through his own son, Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we read of, in, in verse 21, God says this, he says, he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Through Christ's death and resurrection on the cross, those who believe in Christ will have eternal life. He said this in uh, chapter 5, verse 18. He says, God has reconciled us to himself through Christ. We just sang of this. And it says that he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Chapter 5, verse 20, he says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf. 
be reconciled to God. And there is a world living in darkness, living in wickedness, under the judgment of God. But God wishes to save. And it is our call to go out as ambassadors, to plead with people, and to set up new embassies of God in the darkness. This was the very heartbeat of Adoniram Judson. When he came back from that trip uh, home for winter break, there were several friends who had laughed at him previously, but as they were away at break as well, God began to work in their hearts, and they developed a heart for missions. And they came back, and they went to Adoniram Judson, and they shared these things with him. And a group of them got together, and they made this covenant together. The covenant read, The object of this society shall be to effect in the persons of its members a mission to the heathen, that is the unbelievers. Each member shall keep himself absolutely free from every engagement, which, after his prayerful attention and after consultation with his brethren, shall be deemed incompatible with the object of this society and shall hold himself in readiness to go on a mission when and where duty may call. Adoniram Judson's life had one singular purpose, to advance the message of Christ to those who did not know. And so he got on a ship, and he planned to never return. And those who went anticipated martyrdom, being killed for their faith. But they also anticipated the glory of their souls on the last day and the salvation of those who were perishing. And there is a great need in Pittsburgh. It's not an overly wicked city, but there's very little gospel ministry that's happening. In some of my research, I saw that 44% of people in Pittsburgh identify as post-Christian. That means they grew up in church in some sort of fashion. They've gone on to say, hey, we want to practice religion in no way. 31% identify as Catholic. That's the highest among all major U.S. cities. And this is a, a Catholic community there in Pittsburgh that has had 99 priests within P Pittsburgh accused of sexual misconduct towards children. It's a Catholic parish that has seen a great decline in their numbers of attendance, so much that many of the local parishes have had to combine and all over the city of Pittsburgh, there sits empty Catholic church buildings. When you think about this number in light of the previous statistic, there's many people that were baptized as a baby within the church, maybe married within the church. They very rarely attend mass, maybe just on holidays, and they're Catholic in name only. Certainly, they don't love God with all their heart and trust in Christ alone for their salvation. Another staggering statistic is from the North American Mission Board. They say that there's 45,000 people to every one Southern Baptist church. As I've told this statistic, there's been people responding to me, well, that's just SBC numbers. 
That's the north. There wouldn't be a lot of Southern Baptist churches up there. But there are many, many cities that are outside of the south, many in the northeast that have just a fraction of this number. And working against this on the other side, there's only nine active church plants. That's the fewest within the North American Mission Board's target cities. That's the same amount of church plants that are here locally in just southern Indiana. When Angela and I visited, we saw this need firsthand on the ground. Within the city limits, there are many, many church buildings. In every community we drove through, there's so many buildings that are boarded up. Steps caved in, and there's ivy growing up the sides of them. We saw one church that we thought was just a very pure example of what this looked like. It was a Presbyterian church that had a gay flag hanging on the front of the church. There are a few that are preaching the good news of the salvation of Christ alone. And there are a few that are being reached. And so we desire to go to Pittsburgh in the fall of 2019 as ambassadors of Christ, as ministers of reconciliation. Our plan is not to just go there and attract a bunch of existing Christians to have some launch service where we get a band trained up and put some really cool signs out front and draw a big crowd pulling Christians from other churches. We hope to grow a church through evangelism and discipleship, building relationships with people within the community in areas that we live and through our jobs and telling these people about the good news of Jesus Christ. This sort of strategy will take time to build, maybe a year or more. And all the while we'll be worshiping at an existing church there in Pittsburgh. But as God moves, we see people come to faith. We will baptize them and we will begin to teach them. When we have a gathering, then we will start a church meeting. The second reason that we are planting a church in Pittsburgh is because Christ calls us to go. Christ calls us to go. Christ has always been. He was in heaven with God and scriptures tell us that he was God. In Philippians chapter 2 verses 6 through 8, it says, Jesus Christ, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant and taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Christ did not just sit back in a position of comfort But he came to execute God's plan to save sinners. And he did this through suffering. The key verse of Adoniram Judson's life was Mark chapter 16, verse 15, where Christ commanded, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Christ called us to pick up our cross and to follow after him being willing to suffer for the cause of Christ. Christ promised that he would not leave us in these efforts, 
that he would send his spirit. And it is the spirit within us. And it is the written commands of Christ that compels us to go. Adoniram Judson captured this going so well in this letter that he wrote to Nancy's parents asking for her hand in marriage. Such powerful words. He says, I've now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring, to see her no more in this world, whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insults, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you, for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God? Can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory? with the crown of righteousness, brightened with the acclamations of praise, which shall resound to her Savior from heaven saved, through her means, from eternal woe and despair. And those seven who got on that boat, they sailed off on a six-month journey to a land that they had never visited. Most would never see America again. Most would never taste the food that they grew up eating. Most would never embrace their loved ones again. They would live a life of suffering, sickness, persecution. They would die on foreign soil. The gospel went out to a land that did not previously know Christ. And the church was established in Burma. Pittsburgh doesn't even come close to this sort of description. It's only six hours away. Many of the articles that you read is voted one of the top places in America to raise a family because it's very affordable. It's often cited for its great museums. It's a city that's growing in industry, self-driving cars and a lot of automation has one of the best medical systems in the country. The neighborhood that we're looking to target in Pittsburgh is very similar to downtown New Albany. They got a very similar feel in the age of its homes and the feel of the community. Certainly not the jungle of Burma. But you know what? It's also not here. Those who go will have to sacrifice dreams to attend a certain college, maybe have a certain career. They will have to take financial risk, create distance in their relationships. The work that we look to do will not be in the ghetto. And it's also not in the thriving suburbs of Pittsburgh, where there's a lot of growth and a lot of wealth. There's a lot of new churches that are taking place in the suburbs. There's a big void within the city limits where there's higher levels of poverty, diversity, greater density. 
this is where the gospel is needed. And here in Pittsburgh, there will not be grave persecution like Adoniram Judson saw in Burma, like we might see today in China or Pakistan. But every pastor that we've spoke to there says the exact same thing, said that Pittsburgh is filled with a people that will not easily accept the message of Christ. And there are several church plants that have tried and failed. This is a mission that will take time and energy. But if we succeed, we will establish a light in the darkness. And there will be people within that community in Pittsburgh, like people here at Oak Park. Think about some that I've been discipling. My, my good friend Spencer lived a very hard life. He came to Oak Park. He discovered a new family and a new way to live. My new friends, Adrian, who grew up in church, he was led to believe that a good life would save him. He came to Oak Park and discovered grace. People like me who are walking with Christ. And I came to Oak Park and I was intentionally poured into by the leaders here at the church. And I was raised up to go out and to do more work. And I could go on and on of the lives that have been changed because of the ministry here at 1111 Allison Lane. And we hope to go to Pittsburgh to establish a church in a community where there is nothing even close to what's happening here at Oak Park. The final reason that we are planting a church in Pittsburgh is because Christians have set the example before us. Christians have set the example before us. In Acts chapter 2, the disciples are filled with the Spirit. And they begin to practice their gifts and spread the message of Christ. And as people came to faith, they began to establish churches, these local gatherings of Christians. Acts chapter 14 is one of the best examples with the church there in Antioch. These Christians were not just content with doing ministry there where they were. They were sending out missionaries to new places. We read of Paul and Barnabas there. As Paul and Barnabas went out to new cities, they didn't just preach and leave. Something sort of like a week-long crusade. Acts chapter 14, verse 21 says this. It says, they preached the gospel in that town and made many disciples. It goes on to say this in verse 23. It says, they appointed elders for them in every church. In other words, Paul and Barnabas planted churches. The scriptures also tell us about this couple named Priscilla and Aquila. They met Paul when he was doing mission work in Corinth. And there they came to faith as a result of his preaching and became a part of the church there. And they sat under Paul's teaching for over a year and a half. When Paul went to uh, his next town of Ephesus, there they went with him. And they started a church there as Paul went on to another city. It was there, it's a part of that ministry that they trained up the great preacher Apollos. This Chase just preached recently in Romans chapter 16. When we read there, we were found that they were 
having a church there in Rome. This couple devoted their entire life to church planting. They used the resources that they had acquired to advance new ministries. Church planting is not just the example of the early church, but of every church since. I was so inspired reading about Adoniram Judson. When he went to leave New England, even though people didn't understand at first, before he went to go, the whole area was buzzing. At these missionaries' ordination service, they gathered together and they said the building was packed with 2,000 people. People standing everywhere they could. From that time to the time they left, they raised $6,000 in two weeks. This is back in the 1800s, a significant amount of money. They also started a new missions organization to help fund these missionaries and many more to follow. In the excitement, there was a last-minute missionary who joined them. As they landed in Burma, the work of church planting was very hard. They were there doing ministry for six years before they saw their first convert. Then once they saw one, then they saw another and another. Before they knew it, they had a church of ten natives. And I moved on to another city, began another church. And today in Burma, the country that is now known as Myanmar, the Baptist Convention has 3,700 congregations. Let me tell you another story of churches planting churches. There would be no one sitting in the chairs that you are right now and hearing my voice if it weren't for missionaries going out from their congregations for new work. This past week in preparing for this sermon, I connected with some of the original members of Oak Park. I visited their homes and sat down and listened to their stories. 1954, there was a pastor at 9th and O Baptist Church over in Louisville who had a heart for missions. He sent out a young seminary student named Winfrey Durrett as a missionary, along with a few other young people, to the newly developed part of eastern Jeffersonville. He began to go around and knock on doors, looking for a place to have a Bible study. He came across a man named Theo Baker. This man wasn't a believer, but he heard that there was a need. So he opened up his garage. They began to have services in his garage. Before the service, he would open up the different bedrooms of his house for Sunday school classes. Later, Mr. Theo came to faith and was baptized. They met in other vacant homes that were rented, having other services. And I read an account of they met in a basement of someone's house for a while. And it was at this time that these group of Christians went door to door, knocking on people's houses and inviting them to church. And they knocked on the door of Pat and Gracie Boggs. And they decided to attend. They weren't believers themselves, but they said, hey, we'll check this out. And they brought their kids. And later, they came to faith, were baptized. And this young church wanted to find a permanent place to meet. So they connected with Walnut Street Baptist Church over in Louisville to be a sponsor of them 
Walnut Street helped buy them land at 1111 Allison Lane. And they gave them some funds to put a building on that land. In 1956, they met on this location for the first time. And the church grew to 42 members. They began to do more missions work in the community. In 1959, they had 75 members. Only five years later, in 1965, they constituted as Oak Park Baptist Church with 100 members. Of some of those charter members, some are here with us today. The Bakers, Mr. Theo sitting on the back row. The Boggs sitting right here in front of us. The Stones, Miss Ruth sitting back there. The Albros, Mr. Les sitting in the back. The Hilberts at the time, Terry and Linda, and many others. And many gave of their time. They gave of their money. And they had other churches supporting them. And God blessed this work. And people came to faith. And today, this church stands on the legacy of church planting. But as I talked to some of these members, I've found that Oak Park has never directly planted another church. Tried a few years ago in Sellersburg. The growth strategy of Oak Park is to start more churches, to start more churches here in southern Indiana, maybe in the next year or two to start a new church in Pittsburgh, maybe in the future start new churches around the world. This is a very generous church for missions. We set a, a record in our Lottie Moon offering. Get the total in the next week or two, maybe $25,000. If we're going to be a church planting church, we must also have the culture of people going out themselves. It is our desire that as we go to Pittsburgh that there will be five family units that go out with us from Oak Park. Maybe singles or couple, maybe a family. As we go there and we begin to meet people, we would hope that some others from Pittsburgh would join up with us and help us in this work of evangelism and discipleship. And this is my challenge to you, that you will go home this week and sincerely pray to God, God, is this something that you would have me to do? I know it seems crazy. My life is set here. Things are good. I like the direction. I call on you to earnestly pray, God, would you have me to go with the pages? Obviously, we all can't go out as church planters. That would leave no one here at Oak Park. But everyone can be involved in this work in some way. We will get some help from the North American Mission Board, but they don't fully fund their missionaries. And so we will have to get some help from other churches. I would love for some of you to connect me with some of your pastor friends in other places who have hearts for church planting. Maybe they can help support us. Need some help from individuals who can give large and small amounts of money. We will need many that will commit to pray for us. We hope for several years to come. There will be groups of people go out from Oak Park on short-term mission trips to Pittsburgh. Make that short six-hour drive up north. 
Maybe there'll be some college students who will come and spend their summers living with us and helping in the work of evangelism and discipleship. I ask in the next week that if you will all visit the website, oakparkbaptist.com slash Pittsburgh. Here you'll see a much more detailed timeline of uh, what we have in mind. See a lot of the stats that I've shared in a lot more detail. You'll see some very specific ways that you can get involved. Another opportunity we'll have in the next month of January and February is we'll have some different interest meetings. For some who say, hey, you know what, I want to know more about what this would look like for me. You can come and hear more and ask all the questions that you have. That's that you contact me or Angela if that's something you're looking for. You'll hear that advertised a lot more. But as I close, I want to let you know that it's my heart that it's not just the pages that are planting a church in Pittsburgh. That it be our whole church. And it is my heart that it's not just one church in that one city. But that it will be the reputation of Oak Park that we are a church plant that in turn has planted many churches in many places. May we be known as ministers of reconciliation to the people that God wishes to save. May we answer the call of Christ to go no matter the cost. May we follow the example of the churches before us who have multiplied themselves time and time again. May we continue to do this work until the day the whole earth is filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the waters cover the sea. As the band comes to play, I've asked that uh, Pastor Chase come and uh, end the sermon and prayer for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you in your son's name. And Lord, as we're reminded from Pastor Joshua, you have not left us to ourselves, but you have sought us out. And, and Lord, as we reflect on how you have sought us when we were lost, you have remarkably entrusted us with that ministry, the ministry of reconciliation. You have sent us out as your ambassadors, pleading with people on your behalf to be reconciled to you through your son. And, and Lord, I thank you for Joshua and Angela, and Lord, the, the call that you are uh, uh, placing on their life, and Lord, seems to be confirmed with every step that we continue to take. And Lord, we, we ask for continued clarity, uh, Lord, as they continue to to do the things that you have called them to do here and, and as they continue to, to work to be confirmed through the North American Mission Board, uh, Lord, we ask for your hand and ask for more clarity and direction and, Lord, that we would yield ourselves to your Spirit's guiding. Uh, Lord, I pray for us as a church and, Lord, that we would, um, as we listened and, and heard, that we would take Joshua's uh, appeal seriously, that all of us would go home and, and at least... Pray and ask you, Lord, what might it look like for me personally to be a part of this, whether that is to, to, uh, to give, uh, whether that's to go on short-term trips in the future, or, or whether, Lord, you might be calling others uh, to go and give their lives to this work. Lord, we ask that you would do that um, in our midst. And Lord, we thank you for uh, just the, 
the, the need that you've presented before us. And Lord, we're thankful that you um, have good news for us to carry. And Lord, I pray that Joshua and Angela are first fruits of missions, uh, of planting, of more work to come. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.